Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. This podcast continues to gain recognition as a great resource for small businesses and entrepreneurs. From MSNBC's Your Business to Inc.com to uh, Proven, uh, Fit Small Business, uh, People First, a um, whole bunch of other sites, Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast <clears throat> excuse me, is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. This is due in great part to the um, guests that I have the pleasure of talking to. These are folks who have expertise in a variety of business areas, and they join me to have a conversation and share that expertise so that all of you can do better things in your business. Today, uh, we have such a guest. Uh, My guest today is Hugh Littleton. Hugh, president of Hugh Littleton Consulting, is an international corporate leadership trainer known as the Leadership Guru. Hugh is the author of the book, Legacy Building Through Extraordinary Leadership. He's provided leadership development to more than 25 organizations in Northeast Ohio, across the United States, and in the United Kingdom. In addition, he's the winner of the 2010 Cleveland Business Connect Magazine Best Speaker and Facilitator Award, named the Keynote Speaker of the Year in 2014 by CBC Magazine, and was a 2016 finalist for CBC's Keynote Speaker of the Year. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hugh. Thank you, Diane. It is my pleasure indeed. Well, I I am thrilled to have you on. I'm very excited um, for your book, and leadership is one of my favorite topics. So we're going to have some some fun beating this up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I would like to start um, asking you, if you could define for the listeners what effective communication is for leaders. Great. I believe, and I coined this as a Hughism, that effective communication is only when the message is received as intended. And I believe that it's a series, yes, I believe it's a series of asking questions and As you know, Diane, there are only two ways to ask questions. They're open-ended and closed-ended. And that's how you get to the heart of the matter, to find out what the person that you are having a great dialogue 
with is really saying or intending to say. That is so great. So do you think that some, I'm using air quotes, um, leaders communicate without and, and think that they're um, doing a good job of expressing themselves, but their message really isn't getting across? Oh, absolutely. What I've found in my leadership career and talking with and helping to facilitate leaders at every level is that sometimes they will not clearly provide expectations. So here's how it works, Diane. In terms of giving and receiving constructive feedback is what I promote versus giving and receiving constructive criticism, which is of course an oxymoron. Most leaders build you up to tear you down because they'll say, well, that's not what I expected. And so they forget that the onus is on them in terms of how did I articulate the message? And if I didn't articulate what my expectations were, then I was truly only giving and receiving constructive criticism by saying, you didn't fulfill what my expectations were. Oh, that's so interesting. Thank you. Yeah, it really is so interesting. I I completely agree with you that leaders do not articulate expectations. And I don't think they, they might articulate them, but then they don't hold to them, whatever the consequences are. Maybe they don't even say what the consequences are. So employees or people who are trying to follow that leader don't know what's real. It's like they, they don't know what is really expected of them because there's no follow through on the other side. Yes, Diane. I believe that leaders must be clear, concise, and succinct with their message. Because as you're saying to hold them, I also believe that leaders must be accountable for what they are asking people to. And as in turn, they must also ask others to be accountable for themselves. So it looks like this when I talk about the word accountability. Accountability equates with the word ownership. So ownership is really owning your words. So if you said it, mean it, say what you mean, mean what you say, and then follow through, which is a part of effective communication. So own your words, own your actions. Because if you're you're expecting people to do something, well, you've got to own how you articulate that. As well as if someone says, yes, I get it, then you expect them to follow through in a concise way. So owning their words, owning their actions. But here's the last really great caveat, owning the process. Because once you say, okay, got it, then you've got to own the process and follow through to completion. And that's where accountability is. Ownership, because with ownership comes responsibility, but with responsibility, because I handed it off to Hugh Littleton, my subordinate, 
I also expect Q little two to be accountable for that action to be completed. Yeah. Right. So, so does that, so that's interesting for me because I'm listening to that and, and the word micromanager is coming into my head. Mm. Mm. Right. Because these, these are people who never let the person take accountability for what it is the leader expects them to do. Absolutely. Which leads me to another part of great leaders in a progressive state. Uh, I believe there's a paradigm shift, Diane, in terms of uh, traditional leaders and, and non-traditional leaders. And so non-traditional leaders will often not allow people to accept full responsibility. So there's not a handoff, which is a part of delegation because micromanagers have a difficult time with letting go. And so, yeah, progressive leaders, they don't have a problem with saying, I'm going to equip you with the skills, watch this, Diane, the resources and the tools to be effective. So I'm going to hand this off to you. And once I see that you really got it, then I'm going to let it go. And now you own it. <laughs> it's so great. One of the best, I, like right after college, I had um, two, two uh, one okay manager and one who was fabulous. And when I started working for the fabulous one, Dave, um, I would go to him and I'd say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And one day he looked at me and he said, Diane, just go do it. You don't have to keep coming to me and telling me what you're going to do. I trust you. Yeah. Just go do yeah. it. And we'll, you know, if there's anything like really, really big, okay, if that you're really, but just, just go. You can tell me about it later. You can tell me what you did later. And it was so empowering. And, and one day we were walking to a meeting and he said, do you know what makes me a good manager? And I said, know what? And he said that I have people like you who know what they're doing. So I don't need to know everything. Yes. That's a pretty strong. That, ego. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and to your point, Diane, when I taught delegation skills, there's a seven-step process for delegation. And the first step you just mentioned, I'm going to give it to you. But I do want to know, you know, if you understand and, and if I see you do it well. So you moved widget A to place B, great. Yeah. But once you get to level seven, step seven we call it, then I don't really need to know that you did it. I'm going to presume you absolutely accomplish exactly what it is. Yeah. So there's a trust, and that's a big word with leaders. There's a trust issue with delegation. I trust that you're going to complete it. And that's what your leader did. The yeah. leader had to trust that you would complete exactly what you said. Got it. I can do this. Yeah. And it was so empowering. I mean, it, it, it had a huge impact on my growth and, and, you know, my development as a leader in that organization and, and moving on because I really felt empowered and supported. And I knew when I was uncomfortable, I could go to him and say, okay, wait, this I really do need to talk to you about. And he would do it. He would appreciate, he would see that, yep, this is something that I need to weigh in on or, or whatever. If I was just looking for some guidance, it, it was really an incredible experience, and I, don't, I we just don't see, I don't think, enough, quote, leaders 
doing that sort of thing. It's absolutely a paradigm shift that I that I truly try to embrace with leaders that I talk to who want to have that progressive kind of mentality with their employees or subordinates or even their peers. And you mentioned some great words in terms of empowering and allowing me to show up and bring my own talents, my skills, my resources to the job so that I can feel comfortable. But here's where the other part of leadership growth is, and you mentioned it, it's that leaders must be Diane, they must be approachable. And I believe that leaders simply have to be vulnerable. And that doesn't mean that you're to the point of exposing everything about yourself, but vulnerability simply means I'm okay with you showing up and bringing the best of you. So leaders must not be so, I don't want you to overshine me. Great leaders truly want folk to progress further than they are. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad you just said that because I was thinking about competition and there shouldn't be a competition, right? You should, yeah, you're more successful when your people are more successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that is so great. Okay, so, so so talk to me about the concept of coaching like a leader. Oh, great. When it comes to coaching, uh, and as you already know, Diane, I'm a certified registered corporate business coach with WABC. Yeah. Coaching is a concept that most people, they really get it kind of tied in with mentoring. But there's a vast difference in coaching and mentoring. So coaching is not about telling. When you begin a process of telling and directing, that's not coaching. Coaching is a series of questions that simply drive to the heart of the matter. I found in in my leadership journey that when people come to you and ask questions, which some leaders have a propensity to have problems with, but as you say, your leader allowed you to come and ask questions to make sure that you're going the right directions. It's really a, I want confirmation. Am I going the right way? So coaching is about relationships. And I tell leaders that if you don't have a rapport, a relationship with your individuals, then it's going to be really difficult to have a coaching experience. So coaching is also about making sure and ensuring that you allow people to steer their own car, watch this, come to their own resolve. And so, in other words, let people get into the driver's seat. As a leader, we want to take the wheel. We want to sit in the driver's seat. We want folks to get in the back seat, and I'll take you where you need to go. But that's not allowing people to grow and perform at their highest level because performance really does matter. So you want people to grab the wheel steer their own car, come to their own resolve, and get to their own resolution and resolve. And that's how people grow. That's awesome. I love that. It's it's funny because you said that and I think, yeah, some people think that leadership means that they have all the answers and that they are in control and they are just directing people to do things without any ownership, without any accountability, as you were talking about. And that that's mm-hmm. what makes them really good leaders, but it's not. No, absolutely. Leaders really do 
have to let go, that's that delegation coming back into the fold, but also allow people to show up and bring their talents. Let them shine. Let them be their true, authentic. I call it being your authentic self. And when you allow people to be their authentic self, wow, Diane, that's when people feel. And, and, and here's another concept. Leaders should not think about motivating because motivation, I know this is going to be a tricky one for, for some listeners because most people have grown up with the idea that, oh, I can motivate my people. Ah, that's a misnomer. You can only inspire because motivation is from within. So leaders who really are great coaches, they develop a concept of creating an environment where people feel motivated, they feel creative, and they feel that they truly can bring their whole self and their authentic self to the job. Boy, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, part of the reason why I like doing this podcast is because I always learn something, right? At least one <laughs> thing. There's always like a light bulb that goes off over my head. So I know the same thing is happening for my listeners. But that is, I just, I love that, that motivation comes from within. You can inspire people, but they motivate themselves. That That is, I, I'm with that. I, I I really hope people embrace that because that. It is a paradigm shift, but but a really important one for then how you interact with people. Wow. Absolutely is. Wow. Thank you. Okay. So I I sort of want to flip it to um, the other side of things, which is conflict. Okay. So there are times when people have to handle conflict, and it seems like a whole lot of people don't like to. But, yes. you know, so, so are there best practices for handling difficult situations and people, difficult people? Yes. Yeah, so for your listeners, I'd like to first give them a concept of what conflict really means. Uh, conflict is, uh, is, is different for different people. So if we were to review what it means for some, it means involving confrontation or it may mean opposing opinions or It may even mean strong emotions or people are are staking in the ground. And so this is a high stake for me. But for others, it may be just, well, that was just my opinion. It was my perspective. It's uh, it's my personality. So, you know, one person may go into their conversation feeling that I've got to win. Another one saying, well, I just wanted to express my viewpoint. So conflict in and of itself is likened to a gap plot. You know, most leaders feel that, oh, I can bring Hugh Littleton into the organization and he'll get rid of all the conflict. No, it won't happen. There's no magic wand. But there are steps in terms, yeah, there's not a magic wand. It's going to continue. But where the the problems lie are on several different things that leaders really have to recognize and be aware of that, Unhealthy conflict, if not managed and escalates, then it spins off into a result of some lasting kind of damage to either the relationship or even within the organization internally, can be devastating. So they have to watch out for what's happening with relationships, 
Are there territorial kind of boundaries? Are principles misspoken? Uh, are there positional kind of things that are going on? And then they really have to watch out for un you know, unhealthy kind of unequal treatment and maybe a lack of recognition. Someone just didn't feel like what my words uh, meant didn't matter. So I, I like to think about making sure that people understand that whole vast uh, outlook of what conflict really, really is. Okay, so if I'm hearing you correctly, conflict isn't necessarily bad. It's it's more of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's there's a gosh, yeah, I can picture I, it in my if, head. It's just not counting. Yeah, if I, if right? I would say, if I would say uh, what I I think you might be intending to 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 refer to is conflict is really good. It's okay to have conflict. It's healthy. It's about going back to your very first question, Diana, is how do we communicate? Yeah. And allowing communication to be likened to a game of tennis. And I always ask people, they say, well, I don't play tennis. I'll say, well, have you ever seen tennis? Do you know about the sport? And they'll say, well, I have seen it. Well, it's likened to a volley. It's allowing mm -hmm. people to serve the ball or to speak. But remember, there's a net. So once the ball goes over the net, then you become the listener. And the metaphor is that if I speak, I must allow the other person to catch the ball or serve it back to me. But first, they must receive the message to be understood as intended, and then they have to share what their thoughts are about that message. And once you get that great volley, because here's where leaders have a propensity also, they'll stop you in mid-track. And therein lies the conflict. Well, if you're going to say, well, I think I know what you're going to say to you. No, you don't. Yeah. You sever the conversation. You sever the relationship. And here's where conflict lies. I, I want to paint a metaphor for your, for your listeners. Imagine an iceberg, that in an iceberg, there's a tip that is above the waterline. That's the 15%. That's the business level. That's really the part that most people see. What they don't see is how your dialogue and your impact and your leadership impacts them from beneath the surface. And that's 85%, Diane. That's your values, your beliefs, what you stand for, and your thoughts. And that's where conflict really manifests, beneath the waterline. So you have to understand, I may never say it to you, or speak it to you, but man, did that impact me what you did. Yep. Wow. And, <laughs> and it totally impacts the relationship moving forward. Absolutely. But there are some, some things and some steps that I, that I offer in terms of how to get to resolution. And it, it's a five-step process, if I may share with you. You may, but let me take a sponsor break first because I don't want to yeah. have to be off in the middle of them. Okay. Yes. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. 
They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today, we're speaking with Hugh Littleton about effective leadership. So thanks for letting me do that, Hugh. Go ahead and share the five tips. Again, thank you so much, Diane. Here are some five tips uh, for, I say, resolutions or solutions or getting to uh, having a great conversation. One, uh, first is evade. And it sounds like you're not going to do anything about it, but evade for me is focusing on your perspective, not the other one. But evade is viewed as an assertive and kind of uncooperative method, but it allows you to step back and not shoot from the hip. And then secondly, negotiate. And negotiation follows this process. It's when people focus on the other person's perspective, you know, while still holding on to their own views, but it's also considered an opportunity to neglect your concerns and then hear someone else in terms of, well, your thoughts really do matter. The third one I'd like to speak on is partnering. I love partnering because partnering is seeking the best outcome without rushing to judgment. And partnering is truly saying we both have a voice, we both have our thoughts, let's have a mutual ability to have a strategy for diplomacy so that we can seek great resolution. Fourth is considered contest, and it's where everyone has an opportunity to really speak their mind and get their thoughts across. So it's saying, I want the ability to say, what I mean is this. And so it's not that you're protesting, it is give me my moment. And then lastly, to adapt. Here's where both parties really do see they're empathizing with each other, they're really finding out mutual goals, mutual purpose, and mutual outcomes, and it really does work. I believe those steps, when you address them, and you don't have to do them simultaneously or consecutively, but you can choose, well, this particular time, I think it's best for me to partner with you, or this particular time, maybe I'll just evade and I'll hold my thoughts until I have more information that's more factual, and then I can make my point more legitimately. Thank you, Diana, huh. for that. Interesting. <laughs> Thank you. It, 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 I, I, I get it. I think it's um, really valuable, and it feels like it requires um, the ability to respond instead of react. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, which which is so important and we have a tendency to, to react and not even give ourselves an opportunity to figure out what, what we really want. And and I believe once people react, 
they're not at their highest level of reasoning ability. Yeah. And so it's taking that deep breath and allowing you to reason well. And great leaders reason well. They're at their highest, calmest second gear. I call it go to second gear and step back and look at it from a different vantage point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's important. It, it, there's no question. And another thing I was thinking of when, when you were saying that is you have to really be clear about what you want because sometimes what what people, they think they want a particular outcome, but what they really want is um, to win, right? They're, they're like a right fighter. They, they want to wow. win, not necessarily have the best possible outcome for the organization or everybody involved, you know, whatever's going on. Yes. And, and to add just to that great point, Diane, is I want your listeners to really get this. It's important for uh, folk who are under leadership that may not be as progressive, that once they do have that opportunity to speak, here's where it's important to get this message. When you articulate your thoughts and ideas, you must be able to sell those thoughts and ideas. We're, We're not saying become a salesperson, but every time you speak or open your mouth, you really are selling your thoughts and ideas. And so, therefore, it must go back to my concept of be clear, be concise, and be succinct. I call it operating and speaking in sound bites. That if you articulate it, overshoot it, mm, I might not get it. But if it's clear, concise, and succinct in a 30 second elevator pitch, Here's what I mean. People get it. Hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, this is really incredibly valuable. And it's it's valuable, in, in my mind, for anybody in any position in any organization. So even if you don't have that leader title, this is really great information for communicating effectively so that you're able to operate at at your best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Talk to me some about the golden rule for leadership success. You know, what is this theory and what, you know, give me an idea of what this concept is really all about. (laughs) I love this one. The golden rule has been uh, another kind of a misnomer, and I love the golden rule, Diane. It is, however, one that has a misconception because most people will say the golden rule is uh, to treat others as you want them to treat themselves. But here's what happens with that golden rule. God bless those folks that live under that, and it's okay. But the golden rule has a concept of one size fits all. Yeah. And I found that, yeah, <laughs> Diane, I found that when I go into organizations, most leaders want to say, Hugh, I love that golden rule. Tell them about that. And I say, well, I can tell them about it, 
but it's not a concept that really gets to treating people the way, watch this, listeners, the way they want to be treated. Yeah. Most people want you to treat them the way they want to be treated. So leaders, it's imperative. It's another imperative that I talk about in terms of meeting people where they are. And once you have the ability to meet people where they are, and that's anyone in your organization from any position, any level, any rank, that it's about meeting them in a place of understanding. And so I say, don't use a $5 word for a 50 cent message. Use that 50 cent message. If that's what gets to that level of, man, the message is now being received as intended, that's where you have to go. I also find that the golden rule is likened to that probably if you say something that is not a good thing, well, 75% of the people that hear that may be turned off. Now, 25% are going to love it. But would you rather live in a world where 25% of your people are impacted in a way or that 75%? I prefer that I impact that 75%. I can work around and get to the 25%. So, again, it's about that conversation. Here's a concept, Diane, I love to just interject very quickly. Sure. Especially when it comes to the golden rule of leadership. Find the needle in the haystack. Yeah. Because the needle in the haystack is finding out what makes you Littleton tick. The needle in the haystack is what's my driver? What's my inner motivation? Mm-hmm. Going back to that word. And then also, what's my value proposition? And what's my purpose? The golden rule may not always allow you to get to that perspective with individuals. Yeah. <laughs> right, because you're looking at it through your own window. So, so okay, so, so now I have to share my Howard story. So the first yeah. boss that I had out of college, uh, the one uh-huh. who was okay, this is why she was okay. She, uh-huh. I was running a department, and I came in through the back door and walked up to my office. So everyone's back was to me as I was walking to my office. So every morning I would come in and I would walk up to my office and go in there and not bother anybody. And my boss called me in her office and she said, Diane, Howard thinks you don't like him. And I said, okay, why would that be? Because you don't say good morning to him when you come in. And I, I thought this is ridiculous. He's got a quota to meet. He's working. I'm coming up behind him. I don't want to interrupt him. And she's, and I just thought it was ridiculous. And she said, when you're in leadership, you have to deal with people based on who they are, not on who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a long time ago, and I still remember mm-hmm. that. <laughs> because it had such an impact on me. And then I just started saying good morning to Howard every morning, and it turned him around. He he felt good, <laughs> right? And and it right. skin off my nose, and it didn't impact his. It probably increased his performance, actually. It probably did, but that's exactly what occurs. That was a perfect story. Thank you for sharing that. Oh sure, yeah. I, I mean, it really had a huge impact on me. So because wow, 
I, I had never, I just thought, well, come on, get over it. But, but you really, you have to respect that people have needs and they aren't necessarily the same as yours and it doesn't make them wrong. Exactly. And sometimes we almost have to get to that. Uh, let's agree to disagree until we can come to a better resolution. Yeah. 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 That's good. <laughs> So I, I would like to get your thoughts on yeah. um, time management because um, mm -hmm. this is a huge topic for all sorts of people. And on the one hand, I, I sometimes wonder if there is even such a thing as, as <laughs> managing your time. <laughs> so I'm well, curious what your <laughs> thoughts are on that. Here are my thoughts, Diane, and, and I love uh, talking about time management as well. But once again, uh, when it comes to managing time, it's a misnomer. Yeah. It's a concept that we often, you know, you know, pay a lot of money to go to different courses to learn about it. And most of our leaders will say, Hugh, I need you to start managing your time. And I'm graded on that. And so it, it puts great stress on folks because here's the real matter about time management, that you cannot manage time. You can only manage yourself. So, so here, here's something that is an analogy that I like to throw out, Diane. It's uh, if we would just talk, you know, in terms of uh, rhetorically speaking, there are only 24 hours in a day, yes? And yeah. you would probably say, yeah, there's only 24 hours in a day. So what if I gave you one extra hour? What would you do with that one extra hour? Rhetorically speaking, you'd probably say, well, I'd probably sleep. <laughs> and you would be... <laughs> How did you know that's what I would say? <laughs> yeah. Well, well that's, that's the number one answer, Diane, I'll that bet. people give. In my classes, when I speak in terms of, I sleep, I say, everybody gets surprised because that's the number one answer. Very seldom, Diane, would you hear people say, oh, I'm going to be more, more productive, effective, efficient. It, it doesn't happen that way. So it's about now being your best self in terms of how am I going to manage me? How am I going to be the best me? And leaders also have to understand that when you give deadlines, and it's about making sure and ensure that you check in, that you, at different intervals, you say, so here, where you are on this project, because that's also allowing you to keep kind of a managing you, because you can't manage time. You want to make sure he's going to get it to you on time, but that's the concept. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a paradigm shift. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's but, so but true. Yeah, there's some things that you can conceptually do. And if I may just shoot a couple of sure. those. Sure, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. So, you know, leaders really need to analyze what's in your control and what being, you know, in control. And leaders need to really realize what are the crucial and essential kind of goals and expectations because that's going to affect and impact how you get those things done. And leaders really do need to establish a paradigm shift in terms of helping 
folk organizing and allowing people to ask for help. That's a big thing right there. Because some folk have a fear, Diane, for asking for help. But it's a great paradigm shift. It allows you to find out what's needed and how it can get to uh, accomplishing this. So here's some tips. One is it's recommended that for every one minute of planning, you're going to save about 10 minutes of of, uh, productivity. I also believe in, you know, the 80-20 rule. And and I'm sure you're familiar with them. Your leaders are. It's a great one. But most folks don't utilize it as greatly as they should in terms of you have 10 things that you must get accomplished. You think about what are the two most significant things that are going to have the biggest bang for my buck. There's also a concept called the 90-10 and rarely talked about. But the 90-10 is if I have those 10 things and I don't have efficient or efficient or sufficient amount of time, what's the one thing that I really, if I want to say I'm going to feel good about, I accomplish something significant for my entire day, you get that one thing done out of the 10. And that allows you to go home and say, well, I got the biggest thing and most significant thing done that I need to get done. So just a few tips for your listeners. Those are great. Thank you. I think those those are tremendously valuable and important and makes me feel better already because <laughs> now I know I can just pick one thing and the, no, I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so emotional intelligence is, is been all the buzz for, you know, years and um, I, I think is pretty important in leadership. Um, can you, talk about what, how do I want to ask this question, really what the value of emotional intelligence is for a leader, and and just, you know, give us some insight into that, how people can, I don't know, maybe maximize and, and be cognizant of that part of their being. Absolutely. It is by far uh, trending as one of the competencies, if you will, and I call it an imperative to, as leaders have in their uh, toolkit, and that is giving definition first is that emotional intelligence is really, it's defined as a set of competencies, but it's really about demonstrating your ability and, and having the ability to recognize your own behaviors, your moods, your impulses, and be able to manage them accordingly in various situations. So I found, Diane, that leaders who follow great emotional intelligence concepts have 85% greater career success. 85% Wow. Yeah. And so it's significantly important for the paradigm shift, those progressive leaders, to understand that it's about how you control you. Not becoming so emotional, but having great reasoning ability, the ability to uh, communicate again, that bottom line word again, communicating effectively in the workplace. And, and so I have a philosopher of choice, and there are some great gurus, yeah, there's some great gurus and uh, 
uh, alma mater, Baldwin Wallace, that is really a phenomenal guru in emotional intelligence, and Case Western Reserve, of course. But here's what Daniel Goldman, Daniel Goldman for me has put it in his most pragmatic and practical way, and I love his application. It's five steps, and it's self-awareness. Being self-aware simply means understanding who you are, understanding my limitations, my strengths, my advantages, my ability to reason or not reason as well as I should. Self-regulation is the second one. Being able to control my own you know, emotions, not being hijacked. That amygdala that says, I, I'm going to snap Hugh's head off <laughs> if he comes to me with one more question. <laughs> and, and being able to control that impulse. The last, the, the third one I should just say is self-motivation. This is where I get the concept that, you know, from Danny Goldman, you can't motivate others. It's an internal, it's a will. You must have the internal will to do and want to move. And so those three, just by themselves, self-awareness, self-regulation, self-motivation, that's just for the individual. But here's the last two, empathy. Empathy is now the second greatest imperative for leaders. The first one is listening. Leaders need to listen more and speak less. Two ears, one mouth, right? Two ears, one mouth. And then empathy allows you to put yourself in Hugh's shoes. Hugh didn't get it. So let's understand some coaching needs. You know, what did I have to do to find a needle in the haystack for Hugh Littleton? Now, where can I meet Hugh Littleton where he is? Because that last and final one is building effective relationships. You don't always have to really, you know, go to Dave and Buster's every Friday with your employees, but you must have a rapport. You must value them to have ability to reach them where they are so that you can get them to where they need to be. So I find that that's how this emotional intelligence really does matter when it comes to a paradigm shift for great listeners and great leaders and people who want to make a difference in their uh, organization or even in other lives. I really appreciate that because I do think some people, um, when they hear emotional intelligence, they think, oh, that means I have to be mushy, and that's not what it is it's it's just i mean those are great the great five things that it's really about being present being self-aware regulating being able to empathize i mean just all of those things and that's real those are things anybody can learn how to do if, if they're not already good at it do you think i absolutely agree it's not about being touchy-feely it's not about being pleasant at all times or being courteous, it's really about just what you say, having the ability to, to there again, uh, meet people where they are and having the concept of saying, I'm okay with uh, where you are. But you said something that's phenomenally accurate. That is, emotional intelligence can be learned. It's a learned behavior. So it's a great thing. Here's the difference yeah. between IQ. Here's the difference, Diane, between that IQ 
and EQ. So IQ allows you to be as smart as everyone else in the room. It gets you in the job, but EQ allows you to stay in that job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. And, and your IQ sort of is your IQ. Yeah, it is right? what it is. Yeah. It is. What it, and some of us may not have the ability to get smarter, yeah. but we do have the ability to learn different behaviors and competencies. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, <laughs> so um, leadership legacy is an interesting concept for me, and I would love it if you would explain it to our listeners. Absolutely. So I, I love the fact that leaders now have uh, a great opportunity to meet people where they are and to get them to where they need to be. That becomes a new level of accountability, a new level of responsibility. That it's not always about me. It's how do I leave an impact so that whoever I touch, and by the word touch I mean have impact and influence because there's there's a great word influence that's now be trending and, and you have an influential kind of way that you can inspire people to get to where they need to be. And so that allows you to leave a legacy in terms of succession planning for organizations that, you know, I just retired. I think that maybe I've left some legacy, you know, at my former, you know, great opportunity or great employment employer yeah. that someone's going to pick up that baton and they're going to carry it. Leaders have to recognize it's about passing the baton and allowing others to now grow and achieve their highest level of who they really are. So that goes along with being able to be vulnerable and a lot and, and encourage people to be their best selves. Absolutely. Yeah. And I give leaders these concepts. And there are only five in terms of to remember, be the best effective communication person you can. Allow people to trust you because if they don't trust you, then they won't follow you. And there's yeah. no confidence to follow you. And then create an environment of commitment. Because once people buy in and, and they are committed, things change in organizations. They also change in the individual. And then allow people to understand that you must watch this day. And this is great for the listeners. You must follow the process. Because the last concept is, what's the results or result that I want to achieve? And it's about getting to the goals. And how do I get to those goals? And how do I achieve what is to be accomplished? Nice. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Q, I, I so appreciate you spending um, time with me and providing all of this incredibly great content. This is one of these episodes that people will listen to over and over again because they'll pick something up out of it um, each time they they listen to it. Like they'll, they'll grab onto something and want to do something with it. So thank you so much. Diane, thank you. It's been uh, a 
privilege and an honor to to chat with you. It's it's just wonderful. You're such a a great influence on me personally. So thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you. Will you tell my listeners how they can get your book and um, get in touch with you and you know what you've got going on? Absolutely. So uh, my my book, Legacy Building Through Extraordinary Leaders, can now be uh, found on Amazon. So it is trending on Amazon currently. And you can get in touch with me through my website, uh, www.hjlleadershipsolutions.com. Terrific. Thank you. And, thank and you. I always like to thank the listeners because they're why we're here, as well as our sponsor. Uh, get a free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.